being a comedian up here at PB. And so there's something that we're, we're waiting for that we groan about. And then the Bible says that not only do, does creation groan, and not only do believers groan, but the Bible says that the Holy Spirit prays for us with groaning. And he prays in, in words that are, that are way beyond our understanding, that go way beyond our comprehension, because he prays the will of the Father into our lives. And when we're going through a difficult time, he groans for us and with us to know that this is not our home and that no matter what we're going through, that God can turn bad into good. You see, there's someone here today that you've gone through a bad situation and through that bad situation or circumstance, it's thrown you for a loop. The Holy Spirit, he groans and says, that's not the final word. God is the final word. I'm going to restore your life. I talked to someone in between services, and this man is in the military, and he has uh, done very well in the military, and he's finishing up his probably 20 years uh, coming up soon. And in that, he's been promoted several times. But he said, I was raised in the church, and then he said, I left the church and my parents divorced and my sister died and then boom 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 things kept happening to the point that I began to doubt God he said but I got to a place in my life where I said God I don't even know if I believe in you but if you're real you show me here in Iraq in this yuck and God gave him a vision of what was going to happen and they were going to be in an ambush and that ambush made no sense to him in the dream in the vision but then months later it happened exactly how the vision came and he was spared his life was spared even though the vehicle behind him in the convoy boy was blown up just the way the vision was shown to him and he found out how faithful God was because the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, I showed you this would happen. Don't doubt me, but trust in me. And so he came in. What he said to me right there, right before he left, he said, I want to tell you that this church, and this is any church that trusts in Jesus. He said, this church is making a worldwide impact. Because people that have come from this church and go other places have been impacted, and we are impacting others. And the reason for that is because you need to understand that in this life, beloved, there will be suffering. There will be difficult times. There will be suffering succotash that will happen. But we, we move forward, and as Paul is writing this, this pinnacle chapter in chapter 8, it's a pinnacle chapter. Pastor Bob, he, he started this, this chapter when I was away, and, and he talked about the peaks that are in this chapter. But if you look at it real closely, you find out with the peaks, there's also the valleys. And I don't know if you know this, but there's more growth in the valley than there ever is on the mountaintop. Look at any canyon. Go, go to the mountains. Go for a walk and go to the mountaintop and see how much growth there is there. And then look into the valley and see the growth 
that is in there. And you'll see much growth in the valley. Boy, I meant my lift. Growth. <laughs> so the Bible teaches us that we will go through things, but it also teaches us, and this is where I'm going to today, the last nine verses in chapter 8, Paul asked five questions that determine the fact that God is faithful. It's amazing how the Apostle Paul finishes chapter 8 with these five questions. And the first question that he asked is he says, If God is for us, if God is for us, who can be against us? First thing I have to say is, why would Paul ask that question? Why would, he, why would he even go there? If God is for us, who can be against us? The reason that Paul asked that question is because he had much opposition. In fact, when, Jesus, when, 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 when Paul gave his life to Jesus, he was on the road to Damascus, and he was going to oppose the church. He was, an, he was in opposition to the church. He gave his life to Jesus because he was blinded on the road to Damascus. And, and he said, Lord, Lord, who are you? Jesus said, it is, it is I whom you are persecuting. And he gave his life to Christ at that time. But this is what happened to Paul. He went into this, this city, big city. He's blinded. Ananias goes and prays for him. Acts chapter 8 and 9, if you want to do some, some background uh, later on. And Ananias, one, a believer, goes and prays for him. He receives his sight, and then the opposition begins. He has to be lowered out of the city of Damascus in a basket with a rope because they wanted to kill him as a believer. Jesus himself had a lot of opposition. People loved him when they were feeding him, but whenever they didn't get what they want, what did they say? Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. And so you need to understand that as a believer, you will not always be welcomed. In fact, Jesus said this, blessed are you when people insult you. Or when they persecute you or when they falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He's saying, you know what? In this earth you will be persecuted, especially when you walk with Jesus. You will have opposition. But here's the thing. Here's the question that the Bible wants for us to settle. If God is for us, who can be against us? And the answer to that is no one. If God is with me, if God is for me, what force will be against me? The devil, he opposes the message of God and he will do his best to distract us from the purposes of God. How many, of, how many in here right now is the devil trying to distract you from the purposes of God? How, 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 many, how many of you are struggling right now even to hear the message? Really, think about it. 
you think God is speaking to you to, 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 to be distracted? You know, I don't know where your mind's at, but you know, you do. And the devil, he will work his hardest to get you distracted, to get you off task. In fact, the, the Peter wrote it like this. He says, stay alert. In other words, wake up. I don't know why I did the hop, the hop but it felt pretty good. Stay alert. <laughs> Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So he's, man, let me just go down here with you guys real quick. He, 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 is, he is roaring and he's looking for someone that he can devour. Not you because you're on task. Certainly not you, because you're taking notes. <laughs> not you, you got your pen out. It's hot in here. Wow. Turn the air on. Not you guys, that's for sure. But he's looking. He's, he, he's searching. He's, he's like a roaring lion. Now, what does a roar do to animals, beloved? It will paralyze them. If you're an antelope and you're running away... And you got a line, and it goes, roar. <laughs> roar. <laughs> Brent is deaf and paralyzed. There's the one I was looking for, the devil said. He's sleeping. But he's looking for someone to devour. And then he says, stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Notice, don't be strong in your, in your attributes or, or, or your beauty. Be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering that you are. He will continually look for a weakness in your life so that he can attack you. He's looking for that weakness. He's looking for that insecurity. He's looking for that door that we open. But if we remember that God is for us, who can be against us, you will be able to stand firm in your faith. Not only is the devil against us, not only is he trying to oppose us, who, who else is trying to oppose us? The world. The Bible teaches us that the ways of the world are in complete opposition with the ways of God. I love to hear just one amen. It says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, or are passing away, another translation says. But whoever does the will of God lives, say with me, forever. Tell me that the lust of the flesh is not in opposition to us. 
See, we will never satisfy the flesh. Have you tried to satisfy your flesh? Have you ever been on a re in a relationship that's based on fleshly things? Don't raise your hand. But thank you for your honesty. It, you know, here's what happens when you're, when you're following the lust of the flesh. It leaves us using people instead of loving people. When you're following the flesh, it's not about them, it's about you. We're doing a campaign called I Am Second. It is so important to grab a hold of when you come to Christ, he becomes primary and we become secondary. You can never love someone. I can never love someone in the flesh. I cannot give Shauna what she needs if I'm in the flesh. Because I make it about me instead of about making it about her. And more importantly, about him working through me for her. The second thing is lust of the eye. It opposes us in that we're looking for the next best thing. And so many people live there. So many people live. We're never satisfied or content. So you become enslaved to wanting more and more and more and more. And I hate to say it, but the United States has been engulfed in this. To the point of debt. And many of us have felt the effect of that. Contentment is the key to success, and contentment is found in Christ. Stand up, Shauna, please, if you don't mind, babe. She's like, please don't do this. Come over here, please. This is my awesome, beautiful wife right here. And, and I'm telling you, this is the honest truth, that I'm falling in love with her more and more and more as, as time goes on. Just to tell them, you know. Yeah, maybe because the kids are gone. I don't know. I, but, but, the, but the beautiful thing here is that the reason that I have found true love is because I am so content with her. I hope you're content with me. I'm, wor I'm working hard. <laughs> Contentment is success. And if you think about any relationship, I don't know why, but I'm hot. Is it, is it hot or is it, am I, it's just me? Um, I can't even think. Oh, maybe because maybe you came up. I don't, go sit down, babe. I'm getting hot, please. Um, contentment is so important to any relationship. Amen? It's so important to our relationship with our, with our Father in heaven. It's, what it, it's, it's success. And, and, and as long as that you have the lust of the eye and the lust of the flesh, you'll never be content. And the third thing that's in opposition to us is the pride of life. It's in opposition to us. The pride of life says, I don't need anyone to tell me how to live. See, there's someone in here today that you, you don't want anyone to tell you how to live. I'm not accountable to anyone. I am my own boss. I have it under control. I don't need you and I don't need God. But that's true. That's how, that's in opposition to the ways of God. That's how the world lives. Amen? And what you're really saying is that you are your own little G-O-D. You're your little God. You're your own God. 
But if God is for you, then you put these three worldly attitudes in check, and they can't stand against you. Here's the thing is, we don't live in that anymore, but the lust of the flesh, it tries to creep into our lives, doesn't it? The, the, the lust of the eye, doesn't it try to creep into our lives? And how about the pride of life? I constantly have to be telling Shauna, because we're in such a close relationship, babe, I'm sorry, I, 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 don't, I shouldn't act that way, because I don't know if you know this about Hispanics, but they have a machismo side to them. And you Anglos got it too. Don't be, you know. I see Ronnie looking at me. He's like, yeah. Dude, you, you have it too. Double trouble, buddy. Just because you're a vato doesn't mean you have all that. The reality is that we always have to be checking ourselves from the ways of the world. Question number two. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him Give us all things. That's a big question. And I'll tell you right now that some of you struggle. Sometimes we may look at this promise, and I'm talking about myself, with an attitude that it seems too good to be true. Will God really give us all things? See, I've settled that God is omnipotent. I've settled that. I, I believe with all my heart that God split the Red Sea. I believe that he created the heavens and the earth in six days and everything in them. I settled that. But I at times struggle with the fact, will God really do this for me? I can be honest about that. How about you? See, there's a story about a leper in, in, in Matthew chapter 8. And this leper had leprosy. That's what, le you know, that lepers have leprosy. And he was unclean. He, he had to go outside of the city. And in that, Jesus is coming down. I'm going to read the, the, the exact scripture right now. And as he's coming, now as the leper meets him, the leper's not struggling with Jesus being able to heal him. He's struggling with, will or does Jesus want to heal me? And I think a lot of people struggle with that. In fact, those of you that came up for prayer, you took a big step in saying, I believe that God can heal me. Here's the story. Large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. And large crowds followed Jesus because Jesus is a healing God. And he's a life-changing God. And he restores lives. He restores relationships. And the Bible says, suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and he knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. If you're willing. And Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. And he said, I am willing. And he said, be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. I believe that that leper... He knew that Jesus could heal, just like a lot of us know that Jesus can heal. We know that he restores people's lives. In fact, some of you, you probably hear me preaching and you say, 
man, if I could only have a changed life like Pastor James. He is always talking about how God brought him out of a life of yuck and he brought him over here to this place and this and that. But can I tell you something, beloved? When, when I'm saying that, I've gone through so many trials and sometimes doubt and sometimes things in our life and sometimes our young, uh, 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 our children, our young adults going through things. There has been times that I have gone before God and said, if you are willing, please take me out of this funk. Please take me out of this but that question that we read in chapter 8, if God was willing to send his son to die for us, won't he be willing to give us all things that we need? Isn't he willing to give you the things that you need because he did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all he will give us everything that we need. And you know what we need, beloved? Can I tell you? I know what you're in the back row. I know what you're thinking. I need a Mercedes. <laughs> Negative. You don't need a Mercedes. You may need a car. But you don't need a Mercedes. You might be in the, in the middle row. I need a house in Saddlebrook. Ranch. <laughs> and the person from Saddlebrook Ranch is saying, I need a house in Stone Canyon. No. You know what we need? We need love. Real love. We need joy. We need peace. We need patience. We need goodness. And faithfulness and self-control. See, these are the things that money can't buy. And the world can't bottle it up. Are you with me? See, you can be in a mansion and be broke because you're, 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 you need these things. You need God. And yet you can be in a mansion and have these things and be richer than you could ever imagine. Amen? See, God will never withhold all these things. He did not withhold the very best, the very best that he gave, the very best that he gave. Ralph, this is going to really, this is really going to, dude, I'm throwing it at you. Because it really, I'm going to give you an illustration. See, God gave you his son. The very best thing, to die for your sin. And the day that you named him as your savior, you, you received everything. He's, everything's in Christ. Now, let me just tell you why I'm going to throw you something. Because you remember when I walked down the aisle and forgot my book? <laughs> We're having a talk over here. I gave you my very best. She's sitting next to you. That's all I can give. But God gave you something better. He gave you Jesus. Are you with me? Beloved, there is nothing that God will ever withhold from us. And don't be thinking it's something that's going to mess you up. It's not about monetary things. Those will come. God, God will let us have those things. That, that's not a bad thing. But he does not want those things to have us. 
We could lose everything monetarily. We could, all our possessions, we could lose them right now. But if you have God, you're not lost. No one can take the love that God has for us. No one can take the peace that God has given me. No one can take the self-control. No one can take the patience. Those are things that no one can take, and I have received them in Jesus. Question number three. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? That comes from verse 33. You see, enemies of the gospel were constantly bringing charges against Paul, just as enemies of the gospel brought false charges against Jesus. And sometimes false charges are brought up against Christians today. Sometimes it's by false friends. Sometimes it's by the enemy, the devil himself. Sometimes it's by our own conscience, our own hearts. Have you ever had someone that you've, you've befriended and you've given and you've given and you've given them, and one day they call you up and say, you know what, you haven't done anything for me. You are no good for nothing. I had that call the other day. Had someone tell me, the only thing you've done for me is you brought me to Christ and you baptized me. That's the only thing you've done. Nothing else. You been there, Shirley? See, people will always bring charges against us. And the Bible says, who will bring any charge against those? Not that living word chapel has chosen. Not that some denomination has chosen. Who will bring a, a charge against those that God has chosen? You see, before the foundation of the world, God chose me to be holy and blameless in Christ. So when people come, and believe me, people will come. There, you will get a thought in your mind at times to come at someone that you love. How do I know? Because that happened to Peter. He gave, the, he gave the greatest compliment to Jesus. You are the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the most, the, the, the most uh, high God. I'm paraphrasing because I'm not saying it perfect. But right after that, Jesus said, get behind thee, Satan, because he said, I'm not going to let you go. So people can love you and they can turn on you. But here's the thing. Who will bring a charge, if you grab a hold of this fact, against those whom God has chosen? You know, on Mondays, it's my day off. Very difficult days sometimes. Preach your heart out. You ever, you ever done something, your heart out, and then, and then you, you beat yourself up. You maybe said something. Maybe someone, I mean, you can have 20 people say, man, that was a great message. One person said, man, I don't like the way you said this. Boom, that's all you think about. You don't think about every, you don't think about, even if you have 20 people give their hearts to Christ, you don't think about that if someone says a negative to you. You know what you think about? believe I said that. I'm worthless. Not worthless, worthless. <laughs> but look at what the Bible says. If your heart's 
if, you're, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. And he knows everything. You see, many people struggle in their own hearts and their conscience. But this verse helps us to realize that God is faithful and he's not against us. We can live our lives with the understanding that God loves us. Amen? The devil, he does his best to bring charges against God's people as well. It tells us in, uh, in the Bible now... Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down or cast down. And they triumphed. And that, and that accuser is the devil. That's the context right there. And they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. The accuser of Christians is the devil and he's in direct opposition to the things of God. But who will bring a charge against the child of God? No one. Because God chose us in our yuck. If you, if you grab a hold of something, when God found me, I was in a bad state. Nobody was reaching out to me. See, you may be here, and you may be in a bad state, and you might say, you know what? No one has reached out to me. Can I tell you there's someone who is? And that's God. See, God chose me. I didn't chose, choose him because I'm not that smart. He pricked on my heart. He showed me that my life was messed up. And he put his hand out and he chose me. Who's going to bring a charge against us? No one. Question number four, who is he that condemns? God does not want for anyone who trusts in Jesus to live a guilt-ridden life. Amen. Who is he that condemns you? It's not God the Father. God the Father is not condemning you. He sent his son to receive your condemnation. Who's condemning you? It's not Jesus. Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In the worst choices that you've made, can I tell you some of the worst choices that you've made? You made those choices. The devil planted that seed. You didn't grab a hold of it. You made that choice. And Jesus is saying, you know what, Father, forgive him or her because they don't know what they're doing. If you would know what you were doing, you probably wouldn't have done it. And what you're saying, well, that, we're accountable, aren't we? Yeah, we are accountable, beloved. But can I tell you something? When your state of mind is there, you're being led by the ways of the world and the devil. It's not the Holy Spirit that's condemning you. The Holy Spirit is, wants to empower you to live a holy life. People may never forget what you've done in the past, but God chooses not to remember because it's under the blood. You see, you may have someone, you may have someone that constantly reminds you, remember? Look at what you did last week. I cannot believe that you did that. But if you've confessed it to God, it's under the blood. And he chooses not to bring it up anymore. And you don't have to walk around in, a, in condemnation because people that walk around condemned make terrible. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it in a, in a real positive way. 
You just don't walk in victory. You don't walk in victory. You have victory in Christ. You're not condemned. Jesus took our condemnation on the cross. Verse 34 really helps us. And I'm, I'm, I'm about ready to close. Almost another 35, 40 minutes. <laughs> Just kidding. Verse 34 really helps us out. It says, who then is the one who condemns? No one. And then he gives us three reasons why you don't have to live condemned. The first one is Christ Jesus who died. You see, Jesus Christ is the worthy sacrifice. In another place in the Bible, it says he is a propitiation for our sins. That means he's the atonement. He is the worthy sacrifice. He took on every penalty that you deserve upon himself, and he paid it all. Past, present, future. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I love the way verse 3 in chapter 8 puts it. It says, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son, son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. The second thing that, that helps us to, to know that we're not condemned is not only did Jesus Christ came, come and die for us, but Jesus Christ was raised to life. He conquered the grave and he rose again. The Savior, the Lord that we have, is not buried somewhere. He rose, glorified. And because of that, when you talk to him, He's alive, and he hears, and he doesn't condemn you. He encourages you. He says, I'm on your side. The third thing that is important is Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God, and he's also interceding for us. So he died, he paid the price for everything that you've done, he rose again, and he went to the Father. He's at the right hand, and he pleads our case. I love the way Hebrews puts it in, in, in chapter 4. It says, so then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven. You see how they coincide? He's entered heaven. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. No, there is not something that you will go through. There is not a temptation that you will ever go through that Jesus has not faced. But he conquered it. And because he's our righteousness, we can conquer it ourselves. And we don't have to live condemned. It says there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. That's beautiful. Beloved, when you are at that place that you've really messed up, have you been there? And you, and you say, I'm not going to go to God because he's going to condemn us. The Bible says you're not going to find condemnation there. What you're going to find is grace. 
You're going to find someone that said, I, I've been there. I, I've been tempted that way. Jesus was tempted. And it, it just it blows our minds. Was Jesus tempted sexually? It says he was tempted in every way. Was he tempted with money laundering? Was he test, tested, tempted? In, 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 I mean, it just blows your mind. The Bible says he was tempted in every way, beloved. And yet he did not sin. And he's right there at the right hand of God. So whenever you go and you say, I blew it. I cannot believe I'm going through this. Or even, let's just even rewind. Before you blow it, when you're having these thoughts and the temptations. and How many of you have ever been tempted and it seems so difficult? You're like, please go away. You can go to Jesus. You can go to him. And he's right there at the right hand of the Father. And he says, I know what you're going through. And I'm here for you. I died for him. I died for that Bob Cannon. I died for that James Reese. And they've accepted me. I died for that Randy Chavez. And he's accepted me. He doesn't have to live a life of guilt. Amen? Question number five. Someone say amen because that's last one. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who? I love the way the NLT puts verse 35. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? Or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? You see, that was Paul's life. He talked about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He talked about, hey, you want to brag about what you've done for Christ? I've, I've done way more than anyone else. And yet there are those who would teach that Christians should never suffer. Or when you suffer, you may think God doesn't love you. To that I would say negative. I would say know this, child of God. He loves you in and through your difficulties and these difficulties will never separate you from his love. Verse 37 says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. How many of us live that way? You know what I mean? How many of us know that it doesn't matter what we're going through? I'm a conqueror in Jesus. Wow. I'm going to end with this last scripture. It says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life. Now look at the extremes, the extremities right here. There's two extremes. Neither death, death is at one end. You can't get further than death because when you die, there's no, nothing further than that. You die. Neither death nor life. Life is at the other side. Neither angels, the good of, the, of God's spirits, right, the spirits he created, or demons, the ones that Rebelled against God. Neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor any, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Not a broken relationship. 
not a divorce, not an abuse, not an abandonment, not losing your house, not losing all your possessions, or facing a family trial. Nothing, nothing, nothing will separate us from the love of the Almighty. And that love is in Jesus Christ. That love you cannot find on earth without him. And if you have that, beloved, if you can answer these five questions, the first one is, if God is for us, if God is for you, who can be against you? No one. And the one that did not spare his own son, how will he not in Christ give you all things that you need? Who's going to bring a charge against you? Who will condemn you whom God has chosen in Christ? No one. And who will separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus? No one. But there's one thing that you have to do, beloved. You have to receive his love. Amen? It's there. Would everyone just bow your head? Let's just do some God time right here. This is just you and Jesus. Today's your day. Today is your day to trust in Jesus. It's your day to receive his love. It's your day to receive his complete forgiveness. And if that's you today, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And I'm just going to go to the Father and just speak honestly with him. And I want you to speak honestly with him with me. God, I am a sinner. And I need your forgiveness. And I'm tired of trying to live my life without you. Today I'm making a decision to receive your forgiveness through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I confess that he died for my sins, my past sins, my present, and the ones that I will do in the future on the cross at Calvary. I also believe that Jesus rose from the dead on that third day, just as the scripture said he would. I choose to follow him from this day forward in the fellowship of the church. And the church is not a denomination. It's not a building. I understand today that the church is his people, that he's called out of the world, and he's saved. I will follow with them. In Jesus' name I pray. Enemies of the gospel were constantly bringing charges against Paul, just as enemies of the gospel brought false charges against Jesus. 
And sometimes false charges are brought up against Christians. I had someone call me recently, and they started, they started telling me, Pastor, you're this, you're that, you're this, you're that. And I was like, whoa. Well, thank you for informing me on what I am. And there are times that people, I had someone just come up to me today, this morning, and say, boy, we were getting nailed at the store. Yeah. Can I tell you something? There are times that people will say false things about us because they said false things about Paul and they said false things about Jesus. Have you ever been falsely accused? Has, has someone ever brought a charge? Now, it's, an, it's one thing when you do something and they bring a charge against you. I've had that happen to me and, you know, you forget something. Someone came and had a meeting with me, and they said, Pastor, you, did, you said you were going to do this, and you didn't do it. I said, well, I'm guilty. Guilty is charged. You're right. It's good to admit when we, when we mess up. Don't backpedal and say, well, um, it was Pastor Bob's fault. I told him to do it. Liar. That was not true. I would be lying. So if someone brings something to us and it's true, what do you do? Yep, you're right. Will you please forgive me? Can I make it better? Amen? But the other thing is when someone charges us with something that we have never done or that we have never said. And that's gonna, that will happen in our lives. You know, Living Word Chapel, that church where everybody dances around and they they fall on the floor and they, on their, I've heard all kinds of things. Negative. That's not who we are. Amen. We are a church who loves Jesus. Who falls short of the glory of God, but we know that we have a Savior in Him. Beloved, we need to grab a hold of this question right here. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? No one. I put this down, I think it's important. Sometimes we're um, charged by false friends. How many of you have had a friend before, but they're really not your friends? You find that out because they kind of hurt you, but we still pray for them, amen? How about the enemy? We talked about him, we'll talk about him again because he hates us as believers. How about our conscience? Have you ever been charged by your own heart? You ever been felt real bad inside of, you know, every Monday, PJ, as I go, and, I'm, and I, at Monday I take the day off because I need it. I'll preach a sermon and then I will, no, I won't, but the devil will beat me up. You said this, I, you, you should have did this, or, and I'm thinking I should have, why did I say that? Oh, beat, beat, beat yourself up. But the Bible gives us a really, really, really good verse. It says, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. And he knows everything. You see, many people struggle in their own hearts and in their conscience. But this verse helps us to realize that God is faithful and God is not against you or me. 
The devil, he does his best to bring charges against God's people as well. The Bible gives us this account. It says, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, he accuses them before our God day and night. And he's been hurled down or he's been cast down. He's been thrown down. And they triumphed over him. That means they triumph over the accuser by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. When the devil comes and he goes before our God and he says, you know what? That Jamie Reese, he's no good for nothing. He is no good for nothing. Jesus says he's good for something because I died for him. I love him so much that my blood was shed for him. And then I get to tell people, can I tell you I'm worthless without Jesus? Let me tell you who I was without God. I was a no good for nothing, lying scoundrel. But Jesus, he reached deep down in the mud and he took me out. And we got a testimony, not a testimony, but a testimony about how good Jesus is in our lives. Amen. And never, 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 beloved, never get tired of sharing that testimony that you have and what Jesus has done for you because he's good. Question number four, who is he that condemns? Not only bringing a charge against you, but who is he that condemns? God does not want for anyone who trusts in Jesus to live a guilt-ridden life. Beloved, if you're here and you're guilty and you're a child of God, God does not want you living there. Who is he that condemns you? It's not God the Father. You think God the Father saying, I, I'm condemning you? He sent Jesus for you. It's not Jesus who's condemning you. And it's not the Holy Spirit. People may not forget what you've done in the past, but God chooses not to remember what you've done in the past because it's under the blood. And when you confess those sins, it's under the blood. Verse 34 reads, who then is the one who condemns you? No one. And then in, 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 uh, in Romans 34, it gives us, it, it goes on and it gives three reasons why we're not condemned. And these are very important. So I want for you guys to grab a hold of them. These are reasons why we're not condemned. Number one, Christ Jesus who died. He died so you wouldn't be condemned. And can I tell you, when he died, he is a worthy sacrifice. The Bible says that he's a propitiation. That means he is a worthy sacrifice. He is the atonement. When he died in your place, it was worthy. It, it paid the full price that you owed. And so you don't have to live a condemned life. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I love the way Romans 8.3 puts it. It says, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own saw in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Settled. Done. Completed. Now, the second thing that we have to grab a hold of is Jesus Christ. Not only did he die for our sins, not only was he a worthy sacrifice, but he was raised to life. He conquered the grave and he rose again. And sin and death do not have the last word. And because of this, we can live a life where we're not condemned because our Savior is not in the grave. He's at the right hand of the Father. 
He's alive and well. And he took our place. Man, this is so important to grasp and to grab a hold of. The third thing that that verse has that is important for us, for us not to live a condemned life, is Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. He stands at God's right hand and he speaks on our behalf. You know where it said that the devil, he goes before God the Father and he, and he, he, he condemns, he uh, accuses the brothers. Can I tell you there's someone greater than the devil? He sits at the, at the Father's right hand and he said, they're mine. I love them. And I know what they're going through. Look at what Hebrews says. I love this, this passage in Hebrews. Because sometimes you think, Jesus, you would never understand what I'm going through. Let's see what it says. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. For he faced all of the same testings we do. Yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and will find grace to help us when we need it most. There is not one thing that we will ever face that Jesus was not tempted in for us. And he conquered it. He never fell short. And because of that, he stands on our behalf and he said, I know what you're going through. And it, that better be really important right there. <laughs> it probably is. <laughs> it pro if Kenny got it, it's very important. He's on call. So anyways, um, let me get back on track. <laughs> Jesus, help me in my time of weakness. <laughs> I know where I'm at. So there's nothing that we will ever go through. Nothing that Jesus does not know what we're going through. And he stands in the gap in that time of need so that he can help us through. That's, a, that's just an amazing, amazing thought. Question number five, last question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I love the way the NLT puts verse 35. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? See, that was Paul's life. That was where he lived. And yet there are those who would teach that Christians should not suffer. Anytime that you hear... I don't care if you hear it on television or you hear it someplace else, that Christians sh are not supposed to suffer, you say negative. It's in the Bible that we will go through difficult times. But who's going to separate me from the love of Christ? No one. No matter what we're going through, no matter what we're living in, we can trust that God loves us. He loves us in and through our difficulties and these difficulties will not separate you or me from his love. I love the way verse 37 says. It says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. How many of us are living like conquerors right now? Amen. We can. 
No matter what we're going through, beloved, no matter what we're facing, and some of us are facing some very, 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 very difficult trials, you're a conqueror. You're a conqueror. And the love of Christ will guide you. You're a conqueror. No matter what it is that you're facing, we are more than conquerors in what we're going through. I'll end with this last scripture. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, no, look at the contrast here. I, I love it. There's, there's complete contrast. Neither death, the end of all things, nor life, nor angels, the spirits of God, the spirits that, that have been uh, created by God, or demons, those that have rebelled against God, neither the present nor the future. Now, what Paul is doing here is he's contrasting complete opposites, okay? Neither height nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, and that love that is from God comes in one person that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Cancer. Diabetes. Divorce. Unfaithfulness. Our kids um, struggling and going through a difficult time. Nothing will ever separate us from the love that we have in Christ. Nothing. We may be facing a difficult time right now, but if God is for us, who can be against us? You may be thinking, are you willing to give me, Lord, what I need right now? The Bible says he did not spare the very best. He gave his best for you. Why do we think that he won't give us everything else that we need? The third thing that he said, as I'm closing right here, who's going to bring a charge against you? You see, some of you guys, you walked in and, you're, and, and maybe someone has to, told you something. Have you, I've had sleepless nights. I've had sleepless nights because someone says something to me. And this verse right here says, who is going to bring a charge against you? No one. Who's going to condemn you? Who? Christ took my condemnation on the cross. He became the condemned, and he shouldn't have been. He took it all upon himself so that we could have his peace. And then the last thing, and you, I mean, just grab a hold of it, beloved. Who will separate us from the greatest love that you'll ever find? Ever. The love that comes from God. Who will separate us? It's in Christ. And if you're in Christ, that love will carry you through no matter what you ever 
He's here. He's here. He loves you. If I had a song, I'd sing it. Yeah, I mean, the worship team, they're so into it, they didn't even come up. You know, you know that they're, you know they're into it when they're, I mean, I have never seen this before. I mean, I, you know, it, I mean, the Lord is here when the worship team forgets to come up. I didn't just throw him under the bus, did I? Who's going to bring a charge? <laughs> Let's all bow our heads right now because we're going to do some God time. We've been doing God time, but we're going to do some God time right now because God brought you here today. and He didn't bring you here just to hear this preacher. He brought you here so he could speak to you through his word and use the preacher as a vessel. You see, today is your day that you can trust in Jesus, that you can receive his love. Today is the day that will change your life forever. Today is the day that you become born again. That you receive Jesus into your heart, into your life, and that everything that you've ever done will be washed away, will be cleansed, that you'll receive his forgiveness Here's my question to you today. Do you want to receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ today? If that's you, just say, yes, that's me. I want to receive his forgiveness. I want to receive his love. I want to receive his grace. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. So if that's you, I'm going to pray a prayer and just pray with me. And then we're going to pray another prayer in a, in a bit for those of you that are here and you're believers. God, I am a sinner, and I'm in need of your forgiveness. I'm tired of trying to live my life without you. And today I'm making a decision to receive your forgiveness through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I confess that he died for my sins in the past, in the present, and the ones that I'll commit in the future. And he died on the cross at Calvary for those sins. I also believe that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, just like the scriptures said he would. Today I choose to follow him from this day forward in the fellowship of the church, knowing that the church is not a denomination. It's not an institution made by man. The church are those that are called those people that are called by you and have accepted and followed you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.